0: morning, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well on this fine Sunday morning. We go ahead and get started with uh, the worship. Father, I just thank you that we can come here today and we can worship you, we can glorify you, Lord. Father, I thank you that we have the freedom to worship you right now in this place. And we invite you here, Holy Spirit, to come and do what only you can do. And come and have your way in this place this morning.
1: Father, we come to you this day and we pray for the fire to fall, but God, you're looking for the fuel to burn, and we've asked you this morning, God, make us the wick, but make us the fuel, God, that you would consume us with your presence, your spirit would come and find habitation in our lives, and we say, God, God. Search every part of our lives. The psalmist declared, search my heart, O oh God, to see if there be any wicked in me. Rid it, Lord. Purge it out. Let it be gone. God, That's that. the purging, Lord, is, is what you call us to do. The cleaning of the house you call us to do when you point those things out. So, well, Father, when we say, God, send the fire. Send the fire of your presence. God, we're saying, Holy Spirit, show us areas that need to be cleaned out need to be changed that that god that we can burn for you that we can be the light in darkness lord god that's what you've called the church to be the light on a hill that in the that the that the, the surrounding area can be see can see the light lord god it's not about us it's not about us making a name for ourselves, or it's Jesus being exalted and people coming to know that He's real and He's alive, He's not a, a, a passe story or anything like that. God, you're real. Let the church burn with fire, burn with passion, burn, Lord God, with a desire that Jesus would be made known in the reality of who He is. that is our hearts desire this morning I'd like us to take a moment to pray we usually on Sunday morning take one or two things to pray about corporately together well this morning we have 20-something people that are on their way to Ohio to, to, to compete in the fine arts uh, at the national level and so I look around and I see the faces that are missing I would like us to pray for them um not just so much about the travel part yes protect them in the travel and everything but this would be a God filled week for the adults and the youth that are going to be there um I I just give you a personal testimony okay um they work hard to go. It costs thousands and thousands of dollars to get there. And um, you know, sometimes we look at things in a practical manner and go, at, "At what point is it not practical anymore to participate?" My daughter and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and um, but she reminded me that it was last year at Fine Arts National Fine Arts that my grandson was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And we had been praying since he was this high. And he knew the scriptures. He knew everything. Uh, he's, he's a bit analytical about a lot of stuff. And we thought he's just trying to analyze it, figure it out, how, how does it work, you know? But even still, he, was, he's, he's a, he, he has faith. I know my grandson, he has faith. But it was at Fine Arts Nationals last year he got baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And this past year has been a life turnaround. I mean, not turnaround, acceleration. This year, he's competing and not only the competition with the puppet team and everything else, but the short sermon. Yeah. And so, you know, we have all these young people and adults that are headed there. So I don't know what God has for them, but He has something. And so let's just pray for them that God will touch every one of them, light the fire. And every single one of their lives this week can we do that heavenly father we lift up the participants from life church that are heading to ohio in fact father i've talked to pastor friends all over the country who have young people headed there so i just pray that not only our young people and adults but all the thousands and thousands of young people that are headed to Columbus, Ohio, beginning tomorrow, Lord God, that God, they would have a divine encounter with you, that their lives would be changed, words would be spoken that would impact their mind and their heart and spirit, Lord God. And then let the fire fall. Let the Spirit of God fall upon their lives. God, it could be just one word, one phrase that they hear that triggers something, Lord God, that can absolutely turn their life around. And Father, that's what we pray for. We pray, Lord God, let this be a God-filled, inspired week. In Columbus, Ohio, for the tens of thousands of people who are attending there. And then we pray for safe travel as they come home and they testify of the greatness of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a moment and just turn and greet somebody that's around you cross the aisle that's okay we're, we're friendly here at life Church we don't bite thank you comes on. Well, good morning. Good morning. Glad to have you here at Life Church this morning. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Getting ready to get in the Word this morning, and uh, but before I do, I want to uh, um, invite you to come on Wednesday nights. The next three Wednesday nights, we started actually last week. It's online. You can go and look at it. But i 'm doing a small series that I have taught several times over the years and i and I felt impressed to be to do it again beginning last week and I went back and looked and the last time I had done it was uh ten years ago it was in two thousand not thirteen years ago it was in two thousand ten and it 's on the four levels of spiritual growth there's four levels in first John that talks about four levels of growth and and the reason this is a practical but good teaching is, first of all, it's biblical, but it shows you how to diagnose where you are in your spiritual walk, what the hindrances are for you to move on, how to overcome those things and go to the next level. And then when you get to the next level, what the hindrances are at that level, how you overcome them to get to the next level, and so on, and so on. How many of you want to overcome any hindrances in your spiritual walk? And look, there are hindrances. Some of them are spiritual, and some of them are just us. You know, it's like that old saying, sometimes I'm my worst enemy, you know. And so when we recognize what the Word of God says, and we we apply it to our lives, then we're able to get to the next level and once we do, we go, oh, I've arrived. No, there's, there's characteristics that are good. There are characteristics that are not so good. How do we overcome those to get to the next one above that? So we started it last week. You can catch up. It's online, the videos, the audio's online. It's at LifeChurchLA.com, and you can click the tab that says Messages, or you can get it on uh, um, Sermon.net, the app that we have. And you can get it that way. So, uh, I just invite you to come and be a part of that. And then afterwards, we have a short time of worship. Then we go into the teaching. Then afterwards, we have a time of praying together, corporately together. We'll put a number of topics, one by one, up on the screen, and we just we just believe in prayer. I said we believe in prayer. God answers prayer. And so he says, you have not because you ask not. And so we we pray together corporately because there's power in agreement. There's authority in agreement together. So that's what we do on Wednesday night. So we invite you to come and be a part of that. And the slides have been playing in the background. We thank you for your faithfulness in giving. The Bible says that the tithe is the Lord's and we are the stewards thereof. And that tithe is a 10%, the first 10% of our income we give we give to the Lord's work, the Lord's ministry and here at Life Church we have four different ways of doing that. We have offering boxes on the back wall. There's envelopes on the chairs or on the boxes. Uh, you can get you can download an app for your phone or tablet and you can do it that way. You can do a text to give or you can go to the website and there's so there's four different ways of doing it. I simply do it on I do it on my app on my phone, it's simple, it's easy, it's done and uh I have a record of it, and um, we we send out records. We keep diligent records on on your giving, and also, either way works fine for us. Okay, Amen. So let's get into this message this morning, and I simply have titled it "A Year of Grace." A Year of Grace. Um, <clears throat> some time ago, I read a story. Uh, uh, it's a true story. It's not a fictional story of a 62-year-old man in England who had been diagnosed by his doctors that he had terminal pancreatic cancer and he had less than a year to live. And with that in mind, the man quit his job. He sold his car and his clothes. He spent his life savings on hotels and travel, expensive restaurants and holidays. He said, quote, he said, if you're on death row, you might as well enjoy it. Unquote. In a sense, he gave up and accepted his supposed fate. One year after his diagnosis, the doctors revised his diagnosis. He didn't have terminal pancreatic cancer, he had pancreatitis which is a non-fatal ailment. And at the time of the story, he was still alive, but now with a host of other problems. And the story reminded me a little bit of the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 13. And so let's just look at these few verses here. It says, then Jesus told this parable, a man had a fig tree and planted it in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I have been coming looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found it. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, I just want to say at the outset, a lot of people feel like that people have given up on themselves. They've given up on you. Well, God hasn't. You may have given up on yourself, but God hasn't. Because God does not give up. God gives life. That's what he does. The spiritual application is really simple in this parable that Jesus is talking about. He says the fig tree is actually one's life. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. God is the owner and Jesus is the gardener. Okay? And so let's talk about the fig tree for a moment. And that in the Old Testament a fruitful tea, tree was often used as a symbol of godly living. I I could give a dozen scriptures, but Psalms one and three, Jeremiah seventeen, seven through eight. And and the there were advantages that this fig tree had let 's just look at them real quick. first of all, it was planted in a vineyard it wasn 't a wild fig tree; it was planted in a vineyard it was It was in a vineyard or an orchard, if we could put it that way that was maintained it was It was fertilized it was it was given proper water all of those things it, 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 it was It had good soil okay it had more more care taken to it than uh, many other fig trees that just maybe grew by the side of the road or that were wild or something like that. The fig tree belonged to a certain man who owned it. In other words, the property, the, the tree, the orchard, the, the, the vineyard of, of figs belonged to a person who had bought it. They had paid for it, okay? It came with a price. It wasn't haphazardly put out there. When I was a kid growing up in up in the northern New England states, uh, I loved especially I loved to go pick the wild blueberries that would grow up there and and that was, that was great. I think I ate more than I ever picked you know the, the wild ones were great, but then there were always vineyards of grapes, and the vineyards always seemed to have a, 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 a uh, or the vineyards of blueberries, I'm sorry, they, they seem to have more fruit because they had been taken care of versus the wild ones. I, for some people, uh, in fact, every night I usually, I have a cup of wild Maine blueberries. They're frozen. I thaw them out part way, and I just eat them like that. That's my dessert. And uh, it satisfies my sweet tooth. But it brings back memories of me picking those, those blueberries. But you'd have to search for them you know, for the wild ones, whereas the ones that were grown in an orchard, they were readily available for you. Um, The owner, the owner, he had expectations. He, 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 the Bible says he came and he sought fruit off the fig tree. He came because he expected fruit. He had this vineyard of of figs, and he had planted the trees. He was maintaining them, he so he had an expectation. At some point, it would bring forth fruit. I don't know anybody that plants a garden and hopes that they don't get anything from it. You know, some of you say, "Well, all I ever get is weeds." You could thank Adam for that. That was part of the curse, um, but. You know, yeah, how many, how many of you have planted tomatoes or something in a garden this year? Let's see your hands. Any kind, any kind of, yeah, garden. Do you expect fruit? I know you do because I see people who post up online, pick my first fruit today or pick my first vegetables today or pick whatever. Because you planted it, you expected to receive something back from it. Well, the gardener, the owner expected fruit. He didn't send someone else What's interesting to me is he came himself looking for fruit. He was inspecting his own property, his own ownership of what he had. And he came with a desire to find fruit. My point is simply this, that the God of heaven requires and expects fruit from those that have a place in his vineyard. See, I know a lot of people who think that that Christianity or going to church is all is all is uh, that's all it is is you know i put in my hour or two a week or whatever that's it no god says that you're planted in his vineyard and he has expectations for you and he's looking for produce production he's looking for fruit to come forth from your life and and he has his eye on those who enjoy the gospel and he he, li- he wants to see them live to its potential. Again, I don't plant anything in a garden and not expect it to grow. I'm looking for something to come from it. So he came seeking, looking for fruit. He seeks evidences of growth by the means of the grace that we en- we enjoy. God's God's. How many of you could say that God has been grace giving you grace? How many of you say he's given me an abundance of grace? Amen? Well, it says here that he came expecting fruit. Why did he come? Because he saw leaves. And he came and, and he, he was looking for leaves. Uh, he was looking for fruit, but all he found was leaves. And, and leaves are not going to be a substitute for the actual figs. And so I got to thinking about it, and the Bible says in the last days there will be those who stand before God, who say, who will cry, "Lord, Lord," and 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 He says, "I never knew you." He said they may have they may have said they knew me, but I never knew them, and they never produced anything. They never produced anything product, productive for the kingdom. And beginning well and promising fair will not serve as a substitute for genuine fruit in the kingdom of God. That means our thoughts and our words and our actions must be according to the gospel, light, and love. Listen to me. This is a crazy world in which we are living right now. I, I actually heard, and I sent it to a couple of people but uh, privately, but I actually listened in the news this past week at a prayer breakfast for a presidential candidate. And an individual, I won't even say what gender, uh, got up and talked at the prayer breakfast, uh, saying that she was almost late. Oh, well, I just said she. <laughs> She was almost late. She was almost late for the prayer breakfast because her fiance said, Hey, spend a little more time with me. And, and she said, No, I, she basically said that she was living with them and she, they were in bed. And, and she was like, No, he, he you know, I, we didn't have sex later. She said that at her prayer breakfast. And I was like, did nobody catch this? So I got that little clip, you know, and i been like, oh my goodness, at a prayer breakfast? Do I want the admonition of a person who is talking about living openly in sin against God's word, standing at a Christian prayer breakfast, and then singing my praise? I would have grabbed the mic and said, go sit down. I don't want your name tied to my name. I'm sorry, but see, that's why I'm not a politician. The owner had expectations, but what the owner received was disappointments because he found not one fig. I never grew up around fig trees until I moved to the Deep South, I moved from California to Alabama. And the house my parents bought when we moved there had a giant bush in the backyard. And I had no clue what it was. And my neighbor said, it's a fig tree. I said, what do figs look like? And they brought over a jar of figs. And I said, how many does it take to get off a tree? And they told me, they said, well, most trees will produce a lot of figs. But this one here has never produced anything. She said, not in the years that I've been your neighbor. And I said, so this big monster tree just sits here in our backyard and, and doesn't produce anything? And my mind went to that scripture. And I was a baby Christian. My mind went to that scripture. and said, dig it up, cut it down. And, my, and, and, and so my mama said, well, you might as well. It's taking up a bunch of space. So we went back there, and the neighbor said, no, don't do that said nobody's ever cared for it and uh so i told my mom i said well and we had a big old grapevine too growing down one side of the property it was probably 75 feet long and it had no grapes because it was just brambles of vines everywhere and i thought cut it down and because i'm a teenager thinking i'm the one that's got to mow around all this mess and clean up this mess you know and again the neighbor said, well, nobody's ever taken care of it. So we cut the fig tree back. We cut the, the grapes back. And they told my ne- now our neighbors told them, said, you killed that thing. I said, might as well. It ain't producing. And the next year we had the biggest crop of grapes and the biggest crop of figs that you'd ever seen. And uh, I, I think about that all the time when I read this story here. The owner was disappointed. For three years he came looking for figs. And for three years, there was nothing. I don't know about you. I know my Heavenly Father is loving. And he's full of grace and mercy. But I can't help but think that there are times he's a little disappointed and that sometimes we grieve the spirit of grace because we're not aware of what he has invested in us. Jesus warned his listeners basically that God would not tolerate a lack of productivity forever. So there's two considerations here. The first one is God's patience. That he had waited a long time, three years. It's a long time. I mean, if I had planted something in three years it hadn't produced anything, I'd have ripped it up. He was not high in his expectations. He just expected to see some fruit but he was getting none whatsoever. And he wasn't hasty in his expectations, but he had waited three years and still nothing. I mean, year one, okay, I understand that. It's just getting established. It's just getting rooted. It's taken a while to transition. Next year be good. Year two, nothing. Year three, nothing. It teaches us that the patience of God is stretched out to those who enjoy the gospel and are not bringing forth any fruit from it. But is that what we want to accept? No. We, we sing songs about God doing his part. But God expects to see something from his investment. He invested the life of his son for us. He's invested the spirit of God in us. He's invested the word of God to us. He's invested the gifts of the spirit to us. He's invested much. And he's looking for some fruit. He's not looking for a hundredfold or whatever. He's just looking for signs of something that's bringing forth fruit. Please understand my heart here. God is looking for signs that something is happening, something positive is taking place for the investment that he's done. How many times has God come to many of us at times in our life seeking fruit, and he's not found any at all. The second thing is this. Not only did the tree not bring forth fruit, God said something in this parable that I really had never focused in on before and that it was, it was wasting the soil. Read it again. It says, why should it use up the soil? I was like, whoa, why should it use up the soil? Why should God be concerned about that? But this is the part of the parable. that God's trying to give us something. Because many people live their lives, even people who profess to be Christians, they live their lives saying, I'm not doing anything that's bad. And Jesus would say, but you're wasting soil. Because you're not producing anything good. See, it's not just being not bad. It's producing fruit. It's producing good. When I was a young believer, I came to Christ in California during the early part of the Jesus movement. A couple months after I had come to Christ, I went to you know, in Turlock, California in an open rodeo arena, um, there was a flatbed truck, and a man named David Wilkerson was preaching. And but they had a singer that nobody really knew about at the time, who went on to became, become famous uh, in Christian circles, and his name's Dallas Holm. In fact, Dallas is still alive today. I got an email from him a couple of months ago, and uh, because I mentioned something about the song that he sang at the altar call, and it was called The Parable of the Fig Tree, and it made such a powerful impact on my teenage life. And He put it to song, and and a friend sent him a note that I had said that that song impacted me and still does today, and he responded back, he said, I can't believe anybody remembers that song. It was just like at that time they were making an album. Young people, you don't know what this is, but old vinyl albums were more than just one song. We used to buy 45s, and that was one song on one side, maybe a different song on the other. But you buy a long play album, but have a whole bunch of songs. He said, we needed something to fill the album. So I kind of jotted down, I've been playing around with this song, threw it on there. And to me, out of the whole album, that was the most important song. Jesus said the tree was wasting soil. See, people say, Well, I'm not bad, but where's the fruit? Well, I'm not as bad as this person. Where's the fruit? See, God's not looking how you compare to another person. He's saying, Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? What is the good? that is being produced out of my investment in your life. Are you sitting there stagnant? I, told, I think it was Wednesday night, I mentioned it. I said, I, know, I had a man one time come to me. He said, I am so sick and tired of you teaching like you expect us to respond to something. He said, I've been a Christian for 45 years. And I said, and what's your point? He said, I've been a Christian for 45 years. I said, and what's your point? He said, there's not much you could teach me. And I I said two things I probably shouldn't have said, but I felt the anointing at the time. I said, your implication is that you're a mature Christian because you've been a Christian for 45 years. I said, but your your words reveal that you're immature and you're a one-year-old Christian who's repeated it 45 years. And I should have stopped there, but I didn't. I figured if you're in this deep, you might as well go all the way, right? (laughs) And I looked at him and said, and nobody can teach you because your mind and your heart is closed. He picked up a little piece of paper that was like this that I had notes on, just a little outline, and he crumpled it up, and I'm not telling you a lie. Every vein popped out of his neck and his head, And he threw that at me. He said, I'm done coming to this church. And he stormed out. He said, I didn't come here to learn. I came here to have church. That's what he said. And I think of him at this time. Because there's a man wasting soil. And we can point and we can laugh. But Jesus didn't die on the cross and be resurrected from the grave to make us happy. I just want to tell you this. Happy and happiness is not in the Bible. Joy is in the Bible. Jesus did not die on the cross and be resurrected to make you rich, though knowing him is greater than all the gold and silver in the whole world. And not that rich is bad. Don't get me wrong. It's It's not a matter if you have riches. It's whether the riches have you. Jesus didn't die on the cross and be raised from the dead to provide all your wants. Though knowing him does promise to provide all your needs. Jesus did not on the cross and be raised from the dead to fulfill all your wishes and desires. Though our lives in him bring the desires of our heart because his desires become our desires. When we look at him and we realize all that he's done for us. See, Jesus sent god sent his only son that we might become messengers of his message to the world and so what this parable does is it causes us to stop and ask ourselves what is the message that our lives are giving what is the message that our lives are speaking what is the message? Because if the message is, hey, follow Jesus, he's the greatest high, he's the greatest provider, he's awesome, he's wonderful, he's great. No. Yes, that's true. But following Jesus, is that's not what following Jesus is about. God sent his son that we might become messengers of his message. Every single one of us are called to share that message with people. And while I'm thinking about it, it just come to mind. I saw it in my email when I got home late last night that I think it's beginning tomorrow on Netflix. The Jesus movie is going to be broadcast on Netflix. And I'm praying the millions of people who never went to theaters... But they have Netflix, are going to see it, and lives changed, and churches filled. So get ready. Get ready. I'm just telling you, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 20, it says this. And God has given us this task. Say this task. Who's us? Who's us? Uh, The pastors? The elders? The evangelists? The prophets? No, all of us. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us, gave us, say that, gave us. Look at your neighbor and go, us is you. (laughs) Us is me, yeah. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And then he goes on and says, so we are, say we are, Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come to God, come back to God. See, sometimes we make things so difficult. And we think that somehow we've got to be have three degrees in theology and all that kind of stuff. All he says is, I've given you this great message. I've imparted it to you. And the message is reconciling people to God. God created every person around you in his image and likeness. His desire is to have a relationship with him. Sin came by Adam. And it broke the relationship. So God sends his son Jesus, who lives out his life in our midst. It's recorded for us. And then he gives us the Spirit of God that we might be his witnesses and go forth with the message come back to God, come to God. That's the message. I mean, you can't get it easier than that. Come to God, come back to God. Those who once knew the Lord, come back to God. Those who don't know the Lord, come to God. Come to Jesus. We've been chosen to convey the message that God desires not to count our sins against us. See, people have a messed up idea about God. I told you when I was growing up, even with all the teaching I had in parochial schools and everything, my, my idea about God was messed up. I saw God as this guy on a throne, big white beard, you know, glow around him with a big stick and lightning bolts come out of the stick. And he just waited for me to step out of line so he could pow, hit me. That was my picture of God. It's no wonder that one of the very first scriptures that I ever read in the Bible when I came to the Lord was that God is not against me. He's for me. That flipped my theology on its head because I always thought God was against me and I got to earn his trust. We've been chosen to present this wonderful message and it only comes through a personal relationship with Christ. And if we have that personal relationship with Christ, then there's going to be fruit. There's going to be an offspring from it. There's going to be something that's productive. And we do that daily by living this message out. And we do it daily by verbally telling others, do you know God? Do you? In fact, they'll say God because people say, yes, they know God. They have all kinds of God's. Do you know Jesus? The power of the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, demons tremble. Demons don't tremble at the name of God. You just say God. I purposely have been saying Jesus more than anything else. I used to say the Lord and God and this and that. And sometimes that's all right. Damn. But once you've mentioned Jesus 10 times, they figure out who God is. So the owner's decision, the owner's decision was what? Cut it down. Cut it down. I want you to know something, that God's purpose will always be done. What reason is there? Why should there be a vineyard that has no purpose? Why should there be a vineyard that produces nothing? Again, we don't plant gardens just so we have something to do by pulling weeds. If you do, you need counseling. I can help you with that. Stop it. Let the grass grow. If that's what you're trying to do. God's purpose is to be revealed in our lives when we pray. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth. Us as it is in heaven. So God's will will always be done. The second thing is reprieves. Are an act of mercy, but they're for a period of time. He told the vineyard keeper to cut the tree down. He said, It's wasting soil. And the caretaker prays for a reprieve. He said, Leave it alone for one year and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I will cut it down. He doesn't pray, Lord, let it never be cut down. He didn't say, Lord, it's my favorite tree and all the trees in the vineyard. He just says, Lord, not now. Because cutting down, though it is work that must be done, is a work that God does not take pleasure in. I remember after the presidential election, when President Trump was elected, that next Sunday I came to this church and stood in this pulpit, and I said, there's an act of mercy that God has just given the United States and the church is taking a sigh and thinking the battle's over and I said this act of mercy is just for a short period of time and if the church lets up and the church expects government to set things right it'll flip on its head and we'll be in worse shape than ever before. I'm not claiming myself to be a prophet. I'm just telling you that's what I said, and I can pull it out and show it to you. Because every act of mercy that God gives is for a period of time. Jesus is presently interceding for you and for me. He's gone to the Father And and he is the great intercessor. The Bible says he sits on the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for his church. He's interceding for us. The the barren trees are not cut down immediately. Uh, Had it not been for his interceding, probably many of us wouldn't be here. But he says, leave it alone for one more year. In other words, a sufficient period of time to bring forth something that shows we're on the right track. Listen to me. I know some people are going to take this wrong thinking, well, God's grace is, it, it? just extends and extends and extends and extends. Can I tell you, yes, God's grace, is, is, is the depth of it is wonderful, and his mercy is great, his compassions, they fail not. But the Bible says that, that this, this spirit that we have and this new life that we have cannot be a license that we use to excuse sin in our lives. Now that's Bible. And so what is Paul saying when he tells us that? He said, we cannot excuse our sin saying, God has given me grace. God has given me mercy. He he says, it's time to put down those things. It's time to realize it's time to bring forth fruit. When John the Baptist was preaching and the Pharisees and Sadducees came, he looked at them, he said, oh, you wicked generation of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. That'll build a church. And he said, what did he tell him? He said, repent and bring forth fruit worthy or showing of repentance. And Jesus said of John, of all the prophets of the Old Testament, there was none greater than John the Baptist. John was a prophet. He was more than just a baptizer. He came declaring the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. In other words, get ready, he's coming. Well, church, get ready, he's coming. We say, oh, well, I've been living this way for a while and God's never done anything oh my goodness, are we going to say that? Are we? Yeah, are you sure you want to say that? God's never done anything. He goes, no, it's not that God's been asleep. He's been counting. He's been waiting. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit. I remember when I was in Bible college and the president of our college at the in a sermon one time said, he said, The devil puts one demon on every church. And remember, I had never heard that preach before. Because I was young in the Lord. And he said, They have one mission. Let me know if they wake up. Yeah. That demon sits there and goes, Let's see. If there's any reason to worry about life church, and then he's to report in. Will he say, Oh Lucifer, there's nothing to worry about down there? Life church, they're sound asleep. They're 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 comfortable in their lifestyle they're comfortable in their sin they're comfortable in god's mercy and grace just let them sleep don't worry about them or will he go back and say ring the alarm sound the alarm the word's been preached the hearts have been breached souls have been pierced and they're repenting and they're saying god Repent, I repent, bring forth fruit that'll bring glory and honor to your name. That'll make a siren go off in the depths of hell. That a church understands the truth of what God's word is. He, the vineyard keeper promises to put extra effort he said, Give me a year. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to put so much attention on this one fig tree out of all the rest because this time next year, Master, you come back and you see what's happened. And my point in that is simply this, and I'm closing: is that we have a part in producing the fruit we cannot just sit down and say here I am have all of me you can sing it all you want not it's not going to change anything we can say it all you want it's not going to change anything we have a part in producing fruit it is our lives that we live It is our choices that we make. It is our decisions that we follow. It is us who decide who we're going to listen to, who we're not going to listen to, and whether we're going to follow what God's word says. Because good intentions are not enough. The old saying is what? Hell is paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. This morning in prayer, in the prayer room, as we were praying. The Lord brought to mind something that I'm gonna close with this. I had something else completely planned differently, but he brought this to mind. Years ago my wife and I worked for a man named Norval Hayes, who was a businessman, he was a leader in the early charismatic move for many, many years. And um, we we were blessed to have a special relationship with him in our young lives. And I say young. My wife and I were married at 19. And this week we celebrated our 49th wedding anniversary. And um, we came back from our honeymoon and through a series of events we ended up driving to Brownsburg, Indiana to meet up with Norval. We had known him because he had come to our little church in Montgomery, Alabama a few times and ended up traveling with him for the next couple of years all over the country seeing incredible things. One thing about him was he was a man of faith during our time with him he had the opportunity at one time because he was a businessman he had a lot of money but he didn't flaunt it he didn't people didn't know about it because he didn't live that way he he just he used to live that way before Christ He'll tell you, he had seven Cadillacs in his driveway, one for each day of the week. And he told people all the time, he said, I talk about faith and how God can provide. He said, but most of you, you, you confess faith because you want to get rich, but God's not going to give it to you. Because if he said, if I, he gave you a million dollars tomorrow, you wouldn't be here at the revival meeting. He said, you'd be out picking out a new home and a new car. He said, so God won't give it to you. Learned a lot from him. common insight. That he bought a piece of property down in Central Florida, down near Crystal River, Florida. An old hotel that he fixed up. I mean one of those ropes' nest hotels, you know. He fixed it up. And uh, then right nearby there was an orchard, large orchard of orange trees. He got a good deal on that so he bought that property and uh, we stayed at the hotel he kind of made it a southern base in Florida and um, he showed us the property all this beautiful orange trees loaded with fruit and everything else and the next year there was a huge freeze that was headed for central Florida. They had just passed laws against the old smudge pots they used to put out in the the orchards that would keep the heat going. And so today, I think they still do it. They'll spray the trees down with water to try and encase the fruit to keep the freeze from getting to the fruit or get it picked in time. But this was a huge freeze that was going to come. For several days and they said it was probably going to destroy a large percentage of the orange crops and the picture of that came to mind this morning pastor tiger while I was at, while we were in prayer nobody was talking about it but it came to me and i didn't know why but now i know why and um anyway everywhere you turn on the news radio everything was The freeze, the freeze, the freeze. going to wipe out the orange crop industry down, you know, all the way down to where past central Florida. And I remember Norval taking us out to the property. He said, come on, we're going to go pray over the property. Acres and acres and acres of orange trees. And we get out. And we get out, and he says, I declare in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this frost. I rebuke this freeze. You have no right over my property. I speak the word against you. I command life to live in my fruit, my trees. And, and I mean, he just started praying. And I thought if the people driving by could hear us, they'd think we're all nuts. And after we prayed, walked around a little bit, he go back in the vehicle and about every 10 minutes he'd say, "I rebuke that freeze. My property will not be touched. My property will prosper. My property," that's what he kept saying over, "My fruit will be, will, will be used. It will not damage the trees." Every 10 minutes he'd say it. 10, 15 minutes. The freeze came. The freeze hit all over that area. We had left by then to go on to our next assignment. When we talked to Norwell a few days later, he said, guess what? I said, what? He said, all the trees and the fruit around my trees froze. But my trees did not freeze sitting in the middle of orchards that froze. Even the local news a month or so afterwards came out interviewing him. How did you keep your trees from freezing, your fruit from falling and being destroyed? They didn't know him. And I remember, I remember a year later We were driving down through there and bulldozers were bulldozing piles and piles of orange trees. They had died, they'd been killed to its very core and they had all died. Miles and miles and miles of dead trees until we passed his trees and they were bright green Surrounded by dead trees all around you. And I haven't thought of that. Maybe we've been married 49, 40-something 40 years. I haven't thought about that until this morning in prayer, in the prayer room. And I took two things from that. We may look at our lives and think we're okay right now, but there's things coming that are going to impact people's lives. I feel such a weight about that. My heart's grieved because there's so many who don't know him and I saw those piles of trees being piled up and set ablaze and they were burning I think of the master who said one year no fruit cut it down it's not going to waste my soil Do you realize that in the time that we've been in this building this morning, hundreds of people have passed into eternity without hearing the good news of Jesus? God's grace was merciful for a time, but someone's time always comes. And God's looking for a church who's not in it for themselves, but they're in it for Him. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We don't pray that that God comes and snatches us out. But your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven, Lord. God says, I'm looking for fruit. I need those who will produce fruit, spiritual fruit, that they might take the message of reconciliation to the world. it's hard in this day and age not to become self-focused on our problems and issues they're very real but you know what a lot of times they get bigger than they should be because all of our focus is just on us when you have you ever had bad news only to hear somebody with worse news then your bad news doesn't seem so bad does it it's perspective And God says, I'm looking for fruit. What fruit are you bringing? What are you producing out of your life? What have I invested in you? What have you done? What are you doing? And as I saw that picture in my mind, we drove by and I saw that there was an orchard that was beautiful and green with orange blossoms on it. And all the other trees were being bulldozed put in piles to be burned. And I thought that's the miracle of God working in people's lives. Death all around. Judgment all around. But green and bringing forth fruit in its midst. That's what you and I are called to do. That's who we are. The messenger has messaged us that we might take his message into the world. Turn to God. Turn back to God. I want you to think for just a moment right now. Just put everybody else, quiet them out. It's just you and God. It's just you and God right now. It's you and God. And you say, Lord, is my life producing fruit that's pleasing to you? Is my life producing as much fruit as it should that is a blessing to you? Or are you coming to my life and leaving fountains Found wanting more. I just feel right now that there's some in here you sense the scales of the Lord being balanced in your life, and you're saying, Pastor Bob, I feel as if the Lord would come right now and look at my life. He would say I've been found wanting, I've been, I'm been, i lacking, but I want that to change. And I'm ready for God to help me make that change. No one else is looking around, it's just you, me, and God. And if I'm speaking to you, and you're ready for God to make that change, would you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm not going to call you out. Thank you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Thank you. Thank you. There's another one. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Right where you're at right now, as I pray over you, I want you to pray. Your words. Tell them what you're feeling on the inside. Tell them what you're sensing on the inside. Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now. Just tell them. Heavenly Father, you've seen a dozen hands go up in this place. And honestly, there may be some who didn't raise their hand because they were embarrassed. But God, you know their heart. And right now they're saying to you, Lord, I don't want you coming looking at my life and be, find nothing of value, nothing for your investment. I um, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life or what you're doing. But God, I need to bring forth fruit. I want to be valuable in your kingdom purposes, Lord. I'm not here to just skate by and say I'm a Christian, but my life produces nothing that is pleasing to you. The owner came to the fig tree looking for fruit. God, you've you've given me everything, you've made me new, you've made me a a, a, a new believer, you've made me a, a Christian. You've forgiven my sins. You've given me your spirit. Now it's time for me to produce fruit pleasing to you. Holy Spirit, right now, in each person, raise their hand. Begin to show them. Begin to just point out vividly, Lord, the areas that need to be changed, where there needs to be changed. The vineyard caretaker, he said, let me trim it back let me prune it back let me dig around it let me fertilize it god there were several things that had to be done for the tree to bring forth fruit god you show us one by one the things in our life that need to be changed and when you show us we act accordingly lord we don't wait we don't pray about it we don't put it on the back burner we do it now because God, mercy. We, you tell us, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit shows us things in our life, and he, we do not change it, Lord. The danger is that we sear our conscience and become numb to the touch of the Spirit of God. And we deceive ourselves into believing that we're okay. God, we don't want to stand before you and hear those words. Depart from me, I never knew you. We desire, Lord, to stand before you and hear Welcome, good and faithful one. Enter into the kingdom. God, we're thankful for your spirit. We thank you for thankful for the blood that you shed on the cross. Lord, we thank you for all of that. But now, God, we walk out of here understanding you are looking for fruit. You're looking for something to come from your investment in our lives that will bring glory to your name. And we pray, do that beginning this day in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. How many of you could say that you know that God has made a change in your life? Let me see your hands. Praise God. How many of you know that God has made some changes in your life for that bring glory to his name? But how many of you know that what he's done back here was only to get you here to go on to the next level? How many are ready to go on to the next level in God? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand together and we'll pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, God wants you to have that. The Father wants you to have that. He wants you to know His Son. And if you want someone to pray with you personally, pray with you to know Christ, I'll be standing right here waiting for you at the end of service. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fellowship of our time together. I pray now that, God, when we leave this place, we don't just forget these words. Father, every time we see a piece of fruit, I pray the Holy Spirit would bring this to remembrance in our lives. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit. I bless them now and release them, Lord, out into your mission field in the name of Jesus for your kingdom and your glory. Amen and amen. If you need prayer, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, hope to see you Wednesday night. If not sooner, God bless you.